A new year is upon us. Wow, another, another gift, another new opportunity. You know, I was thinking about it. Um, don't, want, you know, don't ever want to assume anything, take anything for granted. But uh, as I reflect on the significance of 2013, at least for me as it relates to the church, you know, it was 25 years ago. It was, it was 25 years ago that I, I first started into my, my role as the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. So it's, it's kind of a special year for me. And I see it still as an amazing opportunity to continue to, to grow and to be able to serve and to be a part of just a, a very special expression of God's grace here in San Francisco. And it's just a, a gift. And I'm grateful for it. You know, I, we, we picked the, the idea of the window as an imagery because windows to, to a lot of us, you know, can express different things. Obviously, a window allows us to see outside, right? It allows us to think about what's going on beyond the walls. We can see. It gives us the idea of vision. You know, windows also are something we can, we can uh, you know, open up and the breeze comes in. It allows us to have sun, light, to fill up a room that otherwise might feel confined. Uh, the, the also, interesting thing about a window, and one of the reasons why we're thinking about it as an analogy of our own life with God, is because you can also see into a window. And someone from the outside can actually see in. And certainly for the Christian life, it's going to involve being willing to be open and vulnerable to grow. And then, and then on top of it, when we think about this idea of windows of opportunity, and that phrase, there was like the people will say it was, they had a window, a small window of opportunity. And oftentimes it implies something that is present to us that is opening up for us, but it has a limited time of duration. There's, it's an opportunity, but that window can close. Now, when I think about, you know, where we are in terms of the timing of the year. It's significant. In fact, I'm going to suggest that there's no better time in terms of the momentum and what sort of it, it feels right to do so than this time of the year to begin to think about, as so many people are doing, you know, already have done, be able to think about how do I want to enter into this year? And so that's why I love being able to, to talk about the opportunity for growth, because I think how we start a year actually, actually matters a great deal. You think about something <clears throat> when it's being built, that foundation matters. And how, how it, they say how a tree is bent determines its, its growth. And <clears throat> over time, a tree can sometimes get way off or it grows on an angle because it, it started out, started out in, a, in a way that was just off. And when it's straight, it grows strong, and it has much, much ability to have fruit. And it's just, it's just something it, it, to, for us to be thinking about this window of opportunity that is before us to take advantage of it. So part of what I'm doing is um, I'm going to challenge us, um, Lord willing, to take a good look at our life and then also to listen for God's voice and to sort of build a momentum that will carry us into this year. I really would like to see a lot of us expand in our own life with God. And um, I, I certainly include myself in that. As a result, this message is going to become kind of like a roller coaster. There's going to be a moment where we get really down in the valley. And then we're also going to spend, I hope, I hope we come out of the valley, get to the mountaintop a little bit, and leave here inspired. But I'm going to pray, uh, and we'll talk about it. I, the, the message is about, partly about the broken, beautiful world. It's a beautiful world, even in its brokenness. And we're going to look at that as well. Let me go ahead and pray. Lord, I want to, I want to thank you. I want to come before you. And I want to thank you for the gift of a new year. I want to thank you, Lord, for all those who've come and, and decided to be in your house today. Even as David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's a good thing for us to do. 
And I pray that as we come into your house, that we would come with an openness of spirit, an attentiveness, a willingness to embrace not only you, but the things that you have for us, you're trying to speak to us about. I believe you speak. I believe you're, you're a life-giving river that flows. And you flow into the deepest places of who we are. And we welcome you as honestly as we can personally say it. We welcome you into our heart. We certainly welcome you into this time of sharing in your word. We ask for your blessing. We thank you for the gift of a new year. We thank you for the year that has been. And it's good to be alive. And we thank you for this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, God. All right. I'd like to start by having us look at uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And part of what I want to do at this, on this opening piece, at least from my end of it, as we open up the year, is I wanted to contrast Jesus and uh, someone who is also famous in, in terms of the, especially in the Older Testament, many have heard of Solomon. Solomon is the one that we believe uh, wrote the, the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes means the preacher. The writer identifies himself at, clearly as King David's son, who was a teacher in Jerusalem. So by almost all accounts, Solomon is regarded as the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I realize not everybody has read Ecclesiastes, though I'm assuming many have. Uh, of course, most of us know that the Psalms make up a significant part of the Older Testament. If you move in the, in the way the books are ordered, the Psalms, Proverbs, which is a book that focuses on wisdom, and in fact, there are 31 chapters in Proverbs, which some people, what they do is they open up their year by reading a chapter a day, completes the month. Um, that's a, certainly a way of doing it. And, and yet there's also, after Psalms, Proverbs comes Ecclesiastes, this book. And it's a very different kind of book because it almost has an oppressive or at least a depressing kind of tone. The, uh, the king, Solomon, is writing from the vantage point of someone who has just incomparable power. We really don't have anyone in the world, or at least it would seem this way, that had as much resource and power at the same time. He's a, he's a king of, a, of, a, of amazing, you know, just uh, expansive, majestic wealth. And uh, he... He's, so he's not writing from the vantage point of want. He's writing from the vantage point of someone who's tried to experience everything. He says in the book, I held, I've held nothing back from me. Anything my eyes wanted, I got. Anything I wanted to experience, I did it. And, at the, and, and throughout the book, there's this overriding sense of disillusionment. And he gets consumed with the brevity of life. And part of him sees a meaningless in it. He, he reflects on how if a person truly does get everything they want, they still are discontented. And by the time he's done, it actually leads him back to God. But I want to look at how he opens up the book, and then I want to contrast it with Jesus. And we'll look at verses 1 through 4 here. He says, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely Meaningless. What do, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and go, but the earth never changes. And you can see it. It's like he's overwhelmed by what he perceives to be the futility of life, the vanity of life. And then watch what happens, because he's, he's going to sort of talk, as he does here in verse 4, about what he sees as the sort of endless repetition of life. In verse 4, he says, generations come, generations go. Almost like actors on a stage. Someone new just steps in to take their place. Someone new comes in. As the one generation goes, another generation comes. It's an endless cycle, he says. 
He goes on, and, and, then he, and then he turns his gaze to the natural world. Look at what he's doing here. He says, the sun rises and the sun sets. Some of us might recognize the phrase in the older version, the sun also rises. Then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers, they, they run into the sea, but the sea is never full. The water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. He, when he looks at the natural world, he doesn't really see beauty. What he actually sees, if I can put it this way, is this, this kind of a formidable monotony that he says is endless. And he says, and then, and then he gazes back to the human experience, and he says in verse 8, he says, everything, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, the truth is we're never satisfied, he writes. No matter how much we hear, you know what? We're not content. His history, in, in history itself, he says, merely repeats itself. It, it's all been done before. Really, if you get down to it, it's just a new version of something that's already been done. At its core, it's the same. He says, nothing under the sun is truly, really new. It's just a variation on something that was done before. Something, sometimes, see, sometimes people say, here, here is something new. But actually, he says it's old. Nothing is really ever truly, truly new. And we don't remember what happened in the past. And in the future generations, no one's going to remember what we're doing now. Now, now he was a little wrong because we're actually doing what he said we would never do. <laughs> we are remembering what, what he did, right? But I get it. I get what he's saying. He's, he's saying, and, and part of me connects here, he he says that even at our best, we yearn for more. And again, I, you know, a lot of times we tell ourselves, if I just had this, or if I just had that, or if I could just get more money, or if I could just get this better position, or if I could just have this person. And you know what he's actually getting at? Here's a person who had everything he wanted. Did nothing, he could get anything. And at the end, he says, you know what? Having had everything and experienced everything, denying myself nothing, I find there's still inside of me a dissatisfaction. He says, I find my soul lurching into discontent. It's a, it's a fascinating take. And, and it's something that he is going to wrestle with throughout the book that ultimately lands him into a place where he says, you know, the only real purpose at the end of the day of a human being is to open up their lives to God. Because everything else will be left behind. Fascinating. You know, one of the things I, I have come to appreciate as the years have gone by is that people of the past... Because I love to read about history and biographies. I, I, I don't know, something about the way, I, you know, different people read different ways. I, I just kind of how I, I tend to find myself reading about people's lives. And I love watching what they did under pressure and, and um, their habits and the way they, they, they interacted with their world. And I just, I like that. And, and I think I always tend to be drawn to life reflection. And um, I realize that people of the past, whether they're dead and, or have been dead for a long time, or whether they're now very old, like I've been reading about Billy Graham as in his book called Nearing Home, and he's talking about how he never, the one thing he wasn't prepared for was to live as long as he is, living. And I found that fascinating, because he's saying, you know, now that I might, I'm not able to live, live my life the, the way that I, 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 I have done in the past, I just assumed he said I would be dead early, or by the way I was living. He goes, and now I've outlived everybody, my wife whom I've loved. I've lived way beyond what I ever envisioned. And so I have to reframe my, my perception of what God wants to do in my life while I'm alive. Very interesting. The, here's the point, though. As I'm thinking about this, everybody in the past, whether they're, they're gone or whether they're older now and they're, they're nearing the end of their life, the, everybody was young once. And they had dreams. 
They had hopes. And they had plans and challenges, fears and concerns. They also had to cope with change, just like we do. They had to, to deal with uncertainty in their future, just like we do. If I can put it this way, and it's good to remember this every now and then, when you think about distant relatives, that their lives were as important to them as ours are to us. In my house, if you were to come to my, our house here, it, when it opens up, you, you walk through, and we have a small dining room. In the dining room, there's a table, kind of a small casual dining table. And then against the wall, there's this cabinet, this wooden cabinet. It's kind of a sideboard. On it, there's a piece of, of uh, just linen. And then my wife has placed photographs in frames of different people who are important to her in, in her life, her, our, fam our children, our nearest family, or some of our relatives who are with us. And then she also has a couple of older pictures, black and white pictures, of her, her family um, that uh, she, most of whom she never knew, but she knows that she was connected to them. And, and I'll just, I asked them if they could just put up a couple of them just to give you an idea of, of what, because I, I pass by it all the time. And every now and then I stop and I look and I go, who are these people? I'm looking at them. And, and what were they thinking? What were they dreaming? There's, there's, a, there's another picture of my, my wife's grandparents, maternal grandparents, who she never knew because they died young. And um, I look at them and I, I, I find myself just as, uh, thinking about how generations come and go. How, how beauty and youthfulness pass. I, I, I find myself thinking about the brevity of life. There's another, there's another picture. Uh, actually, in my bedroom, uh, there's a, I have a little light stand. And a, like, it's like a, a wooden stand. And there's a light on it. And I've got an alarm clock there and a book here and, and <laughs> a pencil on top, all right? And then, and then um, but I have a picture also that has meaning to me. And a lot of us have pictures that mean something to us for reasons that we can explain to people if they asked us. But this picture that I have is actually a picture of my, my grandparents. There is a picture of my grandfather, who was the founding pastor of this church. And, it was, and, and, there, and there was actually, that is my grandmother, who is still alive, who is going to be 89 years old in February. Pretty cool. Pretty amazing. But I, was, but I find myself, because you know, I've always known her as my, my grandmother. Early on, I just called her Grammy all the time. People still do, sometimes here in the church, because she's around. And yet, I, I was looking, I was like, wow. That, that, there was a, that picture connects me to a, think about it. It connects us, like pictures do, to a time frame. Immediately, we kind of get it, an era. Uh, it connects us to, it connects at least me to, to something that, I often think about my lineage, connects me to people who I have loved, who have made a huge difference in who I am. I'm connected. And yet, as I looked at that picture, and every now and then I do, in a different way, I remind myself, wow, how young. And I, go, and I think, could they, they had no idea what was coming at the time. No, it wasn't even a thought, right? They had no idea, even of the, of the people that ultimately they would affect in, indirectly um, in, in our church community. I, you know, it's, 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 as we gaze into the future, um, one of the things we need to remember to do, and I'll say this, loved ones, because I think we're all loved by God, is, is that we are to live our lives with humility. I think Solomon got it right at that point. 
Live with humility. Remember, it, there is a truth. Generations come and generations go. Uh, the, the truth is we have no way of knowing how tomorrow will unfold. We don't know our future. We're not God. We're finite. We don't even know what a year will bring. We don't even know what a day will bring. Um, you know, I still think back to, to 9-11 and how just I remember that day so vividly, as many in our generation do. I think we remember 9-11, for example, and then the whole towers. And I just, I just, there's so much about that that's embedded in my memory. To probably like people who were alive for December 7th, you know, in 1941, remember that day, that day of infamy, as FDR called it. Right? That, that there are certain things that, that get the, just deeply remind us. But what they remind me of is that we never know what a year is going to bring. We don't know certain things are going to happen. We don't know things are going to happen to us at a personal level, at a relate. We don't know. The best prognosticators, even our best assessment, it still doesn't, we don't know for certain, good or bad, what's coming our way. Again, living with humility. The fact is, and I remind myself of this, if we were to look around this room, the majority of us won't even be here in 50 or 60 years. And by the year 2113, I don't think any of us will. That's assuming the Lord doesn't come first or the world doesn't end first. And thank you, happy pastor, Pastor Killjoy. <laughs> you have, you, remember I said we were going to the valley, right? We, got, we went into the valley. We went deep. But, you know, I say that because seriously, in the grand scheme, every now and then is good because it just all of a sudden whoo, kicks me back into, whoa. I need to rethink about my life. In the grand scheme of things, our lives seem so short and so brief, and if we're honest, so inconsequential that we're tempted to join with Solomon because, you know, at some point, we're going to be in somebody's, on somebody's, and maybe it'll be this different form, but it's quite possible we'll be on somebody's cabinet. <laughs> and some little guy will come up to somebody and say, Who's that? <laughs> oh, that was someone who was a part of your past. Vanity of vanity, Solomon says. Everything's vanity. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything's meaningless. That was his... I get why he says it. But Jesus had something different to say. And hmm, he talked about the nature of life, and he talked about the beauty in the brokenness. In his wonderful Sermon on the Mount, his message from the hill top. Um, he, he, in fact, in that message, he actually references Solomon, interestingly enough. I put the passage there. It's in Matthew 6, 28. It says 28b because it's just the last portion of the 28th verse. But Jesus had this beautiful... I love this, this part of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, consider the lilies of the field, verse 28, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Somewhere along the way in the conversation, Jesus is sharing a message. So he sets the tradition. And he pauses and he says, hey, wait a second, I want to tell you something because you're, wor you're worrying about life too much. He says, I want you to remember something when you start feeling pressured, you start feeling anxious, you start getting consumed about the evil that's all around us today, tomorrow. He says, I want you to remember, look at that lily in the field. And I imagine Jesus pointed to a flower and he says, have you ever seen anything as beautiful as this? In fact, I tell you, Solomon, in all of his regal glory, was not arrayed, not clothed like, like one of these. The simple beauty with, of God's creative touch that does something to a human soul. I want you to remember that. 
He says, he says I, I, I say to you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is here and tomorrow it's, it's, it's gone, it's cut, sometimes it's used to, to burn things with in the oven, and how much more will he not clothe you? Will he clothe you, oh, you of little faith? Trust God. Now, just a couple of quick asides here as we think about what we just read there. I'll just put them up because I think I, I found myself drawn to this because I, I look at this and I say, wow, Jesus really does see resident beauty in this broken world. Whereas, look, Solomon, he sees, and I get him, but he sees, he's kind of disillusioned. In, in the natural world, he doesn't, he's, he doesn't, he's not so much drawn to his beauty. He just feels like overwhelmed by its, its, its never-endingness. But Jesus, and I'll just put this up on the board, what he teaches us is that the world of nature echoes the goodness of God. It's like he, he says this, remember when you see that, and I know that there's something about like walking into a garden, there's something about getting out in the outdoors sometimes uh, that can just, and breathing deep and being grateful that, you know, I, I, that's one of the reasons I love to, I, I love to, to backpack into the, into the Sierras. I do, it's, it's something that I've come to love as a hobby, but part of it is I just, I just feel like I'm walking into a cathedral that invites me to worship the master artist God who put all of this in place, and there's more than that. Something about the beauty of nature, whether it's walking into an amazing forest or looking out like we're able to do at the expansive Pacific Ocean with all of its power and endlessness to it, there's also something about the simplicity of a simple flower that does something inside of a human being. Where did that come from? It came from the master artist. That's where it came from. And Jesus says the world echoes, the world of nature echoes the goodness of God. But he didn't just say that. He says more than that. He says also our world. He says, because part of the context here is he's saying, don't you forget, the God who did this also wants to provide for you and wants to meet. He, he basically is saying is our world is alive with God's provision. It's all over the place. It's like Jesus is saying this, I know the world can be harsh. He's talking to people who are oppressed in some ways. They're stuck in a caste, in, 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 some of them in, in poverty. Others are very aware of that as a people, they are oppressed by the Romans and they are not a free people. And Jesus is talking in the context of that oppression and the unfairness of life, which they were witnesses to all the time, just like we are that there's a lot of life that is brutal and painful and hard to understand, and there clearly is evil. And when we see it in its rawest forms, it rocks us. And Jesus himself was going to enter into some of the worst of humanity. Think about it. He is going to experience hostility, violence, um, utter humiliation. He's going to be stripped down naked, spit on, hammered onto a tree, utterly forsaken by his closest friends, his devotees will have nothing to do with him. Everything, even God, it says the Father, for a moment as he bears the sin of the world, will, will forsake him. He feels everything. He knows the brokenness, and yet he says, in spite of all of that, look at the lily in the field. And remember that the world is alive with the provision of God. In a way, he was saying, I am that expression of provision before your very eyes. And then, and then thirdly, what we're reminded of here is that God cares so much about us at an intimate level. I mean, part of what he was saying here is, look, if the Lord, he, he closed the grass with these beautiful flowers, don't think for a moment he doesn't care about you. He does. He cares. 
That's beautiful to me. And there's genuine concern. So as we, you and me, as we think about this undiscovered land we call a new year, as we think about the windows of opportunity that might emerge, I, I I want us to just consider a couple things. Combining sort of Jesus and Solomon and sort of bringing it into into the four. I'm going to suggest, again, and this is for some of you who are more note takers, I just kind of put this up there as well, that remember that life without God is utter, utterly futile. It, Jesus taught us, and I, and okay, now Solomon is right in a way, because he says, any achievement in this life, it's meaningless. Now, there's a part of him that's right, because Jesus would say, what will it profit a person or a man or a woman if they gain the whole world, but they lose their own soul? What will happen? However high they get on the ladder, how much of a name they temporarily make for themselves, no matter what notoriety or admiration or people they're associated with, no matter what, how big, he says all that, what it will profit a person if they gain the whole world, but they lose their own soul. He throws success upside down and says, whatever success is in life, that's not really it. Better to be wealthy towards God and to be a lover lover of others. That's not anti-ambition, but it's proportional and it's reversed. But I remember my grandfather used to tell me, because Psalm is right, if, if, if God isn't in the equation, just like Jesus taught us this as well, if God isn't in the equation, then it really is meaningless. That, that's, okay, that's Jesus crashing at the breakers of our, of our lives. And he says, look, it's like my grandfather used to say to me, I mentioned this. He would say, look, Terry, he says, and this was not a man consumed with external success. He would say, You're, without Jesus, he said, your life is a bunch of zeros. And it goes on, zeros. Just endless zeros. He goes, but when Jesus comes into your life, God puts a one in front of the zeros, and it's endless meaning, endless, eternal, from nothing to meaning. And I'll tell you this, he, number two, God expressed his love for us, and it's worth saying again at the very beginning of the new year that God expressed his opinion of our value, you and me, by sending his son to die for us. Put it another way, Jesus, whom we worship, is God's way of saying, we matter. Jesus is God's way of saying, life matters. Jesus is God's way of saying, may I say it this way? I matter. I'm not just here to do temporal humanitarian deeds that are the result of someone's interpretation of goodness. I've not been given such an obscure way to approach life that any way is really as good as another. Because the truth is, if any way, if nothing matters, then I might as well do what Solomon's talking about, live for myself if I choose to, experience whatever I want to, live as selfishly as, who says what good is at that point? I get that. That makes sense to me. But Jesus says, actually, that's not the meaning of life. The meaning of life has to do with the creator who calls us to him and has given everything to us and made it all possible by giving us himself. For Jesus would say, and again, I I love to quote it because it probably is the gospel in its purest form. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him and embrace him, and if you haven't done that in your life, this is a good day to do it. To embrace him and say, whoever would believe in him would not die, would not perish, but would have everlasting life, life on life without end, beyond this life into the next, that, that he wants to give life. For God, he says, did not send his son into this world to condemn it. It already has death on it. It's already broken. He's saying, God has sent his son to condemn it. It's already been condemned. He's, he has sent his son to save it, that the world through him might live and have life. That was his appeal. And then, if that is true, then this is also true. Number three, how we live then all of a sudden matters. It really does. It, it, it means that, that we, you and me, who would follow Jesus, are to see ourselves not as cosmic, cosmic accidents who have no lasting meaning or value, but if we walk with Jesus, we are to see ourselves as children of the King, that we are to live as liberated ones in the kingdom of the Son, and that we are to embrace life. And so as we think about new, new year, this new year, we're not ignoring the brokenness that's around us. We need to engage that. But we're also saying, as our, as our Savior taught us, we are also to, to pause to consider the beauty. And I, I was thinking that it's going to also mean challenging ourselves as a growing people. I, this is about growing. How, again, how we live matters, so how we grow matters. So I, I want us to see the, the, how, the connection. It's not just growing so that I can say I'm a growing person or I'm a nice guy or I've done some good things and hopefully God will think I'm good enough to get to heaven. It's about growing to be an expression of who he made me to be because by his grace he has saved me. And I'll never be good enough. I'll never earn it, but I can receive a gift. And if I receive this gift, then Lord, how do you want me to live as one who's been given such undeserved love and grace. It means I'm going to contend for growth because you challenged me to do that. And I'm going to say, just in summary here, I'm going to challenge, think, have us think about growth at five levels. I'll just put them up real quick. Spiritual level, what does it mean as we move into this new year? Is God calling some of us to really stay spiritually alive and vibrant? There's, spiritual growth is always connected to intention. It does not just happen on its own. Uh, it, it, it is a product. It's like we always say that the garden doesn't tend itself. The garden unattended grows weeds. So does a soul. You have to pay attention. Pay is a good word because it, it, it suggests it costs us something, doesn't it? So if I'm spiritually serious about staying in a vibrant place with God, then I'm going to have to make sure that I, I'm working to stay fresh. I'm I'm <laughs> spiritual. What I'm talking about here is how we are being before God. But then I take that a step further, maybe building on that and say, maybe the Lord's calling some of us to really focus in on our, yes, our spiritual foundations and, and upgrading our spiritual life. But some of us, the Lord might be calling us to really pay attention to our relational life. So at a spiritual level, at a relational level. That, that for some of us, he's really calling us to make this a year in which we as we open up our lives to him, that we are open also to him developing our people skills, our relational skills, that we're saying, Lord, I, I want to be open to being a better friend. I want to be open to being a better husband or a better wife. I, I want to be a growing person, a father or a mother, a, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, or a father figure. Mother, I'm, I'm covering a lot of space here, okay? 
because I'm saying is we all have people in our lives and we can all, we can all grow. I know, I know that, that we're, there are ways of being with other people, how we handle conflict, the type of vulnerability we, we allow into our lives. These are all critical pieces of relational health. Um, I believe that if we apply ourselves to studying God's word and are open up our lives to him, like we're opening up a window to let the breeze of the spirit into our lives, that he will begin to speak into areas that he wants us to address. And then he will show us the way to go. Some of us, it might be at a self-management level, which is the third piece here, that the Lord is calling us, notice this, the way we are with God, the way we are with others, the way we are with ourselves. And I think this has a lot to do with, with habits. It has to do with the way in which we approach our life. It has to do with our life architecture, our life construction. It's worth, at the beginning of the year, it's a good time to, to ask ourselves good questions about what we're building at an internal and external level. And really just try to say, Lord, help me to, to, to take a good look at this. You know what, look, okay, some of you are very young, or at least you're a lot younger than me, right? When you're younger, so much of life is connected to finding ourselves. But I think, and that becomes a challenge of sorts. We go through phases where we're trying to really figure out, who did God make me to be? Where is my place of real contribution supposed to be? Who am I to be with? You know, these are real interesting questions that we explore with the Lord's help. But when you're older, I think what starts to happen is the real challenge not becomes less about finding ourselves as it becomes, and I shared this with someone last night, actually, it becomes reinventing ourselves. That the, the, the tendency is to get stuck a lot, and the Lord wants us to create change places. And so it's not about abandoning. I mean, I see people who become very reckless in their reinventions. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about recklessness, which is so typical of midlife, that, that repudiates. I saw someone I loved, when they got in their, their middle years, they just... They just misinterpreted reinvention. And they basically what they did was they, they substituted the word self-destruction, in my opinion, for reinvention. It was the obliteration of everything that had been. Instead of holding on to all the good and simply reforming that in a different way so that it created new, new oxygen in life. The Lord is about us moving into seasons, working into new places. A lot of that's connected to self-management, but a lot of it's connected to this fourth level, which is this, the attitudes that we, we allow in ourselves. And a lot of it is positioning. There is a truth. People say people diminish positive thinking and, 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 and having faith, but I'm gonna tell you, very few people ever come to Jesus because someone is walking around saying, oh, I hate everybody, life is awful, nothing's good, right, depressed. I've, I've not seen too many people drawn to Christ because someone's walking around who said they claim to know and love him but looks so down on life there was absolutely no joy or very little of it. Like, a, like a, you could take a sponge and try to squeeze out some water there and there's just like a drop or two coming out. Come and follow Jesus. No thanks, buddy. <laughs> right? Whatever you got, I don't want it. We have a savior who was fully alive even as he was giving his life away. And he lived life with abundance. And so may we be filled with his joy. 
I think whenever I f we find ourselves dropping into negative habits, negative patterns of thinking, criti critical spirit, it becomes habitual, always looking for what is wrong, not affirming what is right, that we begin to close and shrink our world and we become small-minded people. And the Lord is an expansive one. And then, of course, the last thing is at a heart level, because I think at the core, the Lord wants more than our duty. He wants more than compliance. He wants more than rote obedience. He really wants our heart. Because where your heart is, there will your treasure also be. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. It's our affection, our deepest love. He yearns for us to love him, and he yearns to love us. One of the best places, and in the weeks ahead, we're going to spend some more time talking about how to do this. So you'll have some practical pieces. One thing I will say, some of you already noticed it. I, th I think it's really important. I'll just say this, to do two things coming off of this message. One, if, if you're serious about it, is to have some time along the way this week to, to spend some time in prayer and long thought. To create some space. You know, we do it. We'll do it to do whatever we want. We'll do it to entertain ourselves. We can go entertain. We can go watch something for an hour and a half, two hours. We can watch a game for three. But to spend half an hour thinking long thoughts prayerfully, humbly before the Lord, it's like, I don't want to, we don't say it. I don't know if I want to do that. Well, we get what we put in. This is a good time to do that. The other thing I say is, I'm a big believer in small groups. You'll notice in the C5 that we're having our January signups. The reason I say this is because I have been in a small group myself for a while. I was formed. A lot of my real growth took place with others. Now, what I found is that the small group itself may just be a basic gathering place, but out of the small group often comes another group within the group of, of, of deep connection. And people where I feel even more comfortable being vulnerable with and we pray for one another and there's a, there's a depth of sharpening that occurs there because we're all trying to move in the same way to grow as a follower of the Lord. And we begin to challenge one another. We begin to pray for one another. We get honest about our weaknesses. We begin to build defense systems for our weaknesses so we can soar with our strengths. And we can be a person who makes a difference. And so, you know, I am excited about the year. I wrote down, I wrote down on a board next to where I, I exercise. I wrote down... May this be my best year yet. And I meant, I meant, what I meant by that is for him. So in, in, the, in a minute as we close, in the song that we're closing with talks about that a little bit. It talks about, it takes the two themes that we explored, the broken, the beauty and the brokenness. And then it also talks about the value of others. And it sort of combines those elements. And it's a good way for us to end this time together. But let me pray. We'll have our time of giving and the band will close us out. Lord, I, I thank you for the gift of a new year. I pray that our hearts would be soft before you. I pray that even the most self-confident among us, Lord, would never be too great in our own eyes to, to humble ourselves before you because you reject the proud and you welcome the, the humble. And Lord, in a world where so many have given up on who you are, I pray that our hearts would be open to, to shining, like that, that window opening up before you, to letting in the sun and then giving it away. You're our beautiful one. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, God. Amen.